Amen. Well, good evening. We're glad that you're here tonight, and uh, thank you for being here on a Tuesday night. Looking forward to what the Lord has for us this evening. I've enjoyed some fellowship with our missionaries today. We had wonderful seafood at lunch, sushi, and uh, it was good. So I let the Japanese missionaries teach us what we should order on the menu, and it was quite good, and uh, I'm thankful for all that. There's some things that I'll just leave behind that I won't say that happened at the restaurant, but we still had a good time. And then we went and visited some other churches around town this afternoon. That was fun as well. And uh, then picked up Brother Garlic at the airport Amen. and his wife. And we're so glad to have Dan and Teresa Garlic with us this evening. And thankful that the Lord gave him the strength to be able to join us tonight. And he'll be singing for us and preaching for us. You're just going to do it all tonight for us, I guess. It'll be a blessing. But uh, no, really, he's just come to be a blessing, and uh, he's not going to do anything. The Lord will do it tonight, and uh, we're trusting him to do his work in our hearts. And so we're going to do something a little bit different this evening. Alan's going to come lead us in a couple songs in just a minute, and then I'm going to invite our missionaries up here with me, and we're going to just have a, a little question and answer time. I'm going to ask them questions, and, and they're going to give us some answers, hopefully, and uh, it'll be fun, and I'm going to give them questions the, all the hard things that I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. It'll be a great time. And then um, after that, Alan and Laurel sing a special for us. And then Brother Dan Garlick will come and preach for us and sing and whatever the Lord's laid on your heart to do with us tonight. So let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Would you bow your heads with me as we begin our service tonight? Father, thank you for allowing us to gather once again. And Lord, it is a blessing to be able to come together and unite around one thing. And that is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved. And then to be able to take that great message of salvation, which as we've already heard preached this week, is the power of God, Amen. and take it around the world, take it across the street, take it next door, or be able to share it with each and every creature that Jesus saves. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged tonight in our hearts, be encouraged and challenged about your goodness and your greatness and your faithfulness to us. Lord, may we go from here tonight encouraged to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, knowing that we can do it in the power of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit tonight. Work in our hearts tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, wonderful singing. And uh, thank you for doing that tonight. It's a blessing to sing together the praises of God. And uh, I'm thankful this week. I've been encouraged through the preaching we've already heard, and I know that we'll hear tonight. And uh, this conference is not about glorifying men. No. This conference is about glorifying God. Amen. And that's why it says behind us, walk worthy. It's not walk worthy of the people on the stage. It's walk worthy of the Lord. And because uh, as you saw coming up on the stage... You'd not be doing too well if you were only walking <laughs> worthy of these, of, of us as we stumble that's and stagger truth. our way to our seats. And uh, that's what I'm thankful for, that we serve a God Amen. who's bigger. And uh, I, as, as we were praying about putting this together and having you men come and being here with us, um, all three of these men in various ways have shaped um, my ministry and my thinking and truth about God's Word and what ministry should look like. And so I just wanted to take some time to ask some questions. There should be a couple microphones here, so everybody should have one. I think Brother Dan's already wired up. And uh, we'll just take a few minutes here. We got to hear a little bit of Brother White's testimony of how he came to Christ on Sunday 
But Brother Sisk, would you just take a minute and share sure. how you came to Christ? And Brother Dan, after that. Sure. Okay. Uh, my my, my uh, mother was saved uh, young in life, but she made a, a, a mistake. Well, <laughs> if she hadn't married him, my dad, I wouldn't be here tonight, okay? But uh, <laughs> when she married my dad, he was an unbeliever. Anyway, it uh, made life very hard. Uh, he was a very hardworking man, very kind man all week long. But uh, just about every Saturday, uh, he'd drink a lot, gamble a lot, and things of that nature. And, and of course, when you're in a home like that, it, it's not very comfortable. And uh, I, I, I remember, even as a kid, uh, determining in my own life, I'm, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to start drinking, okay? And that was good. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I would go to church occasionally. Uh, actually, in the, in the town I was uh, raised in, I was born in Nortonville, Kentucky. It's a big city of about 800 people, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to a smaller town, <laughs> Mannington, okay? And uh, uh, went to a two-room school. Uh, the first, first one room, they had first, second, and third grade. And the, and the other room, they had uh, fourth through the eighth grade. And uh, it, it, was, it was quite different. But uh, occasionally, they, they, there was a Methodist building there, but no, they didn't have a regular preacher, never did have a regular preacher, okay? And then there was uh, maybe a, a Pentecostal meeting of some kind. But uh, I, would, I would go to that meeting. Sometimes they would have just preachers who'd come by and preach for four or five days and so forth. And uh, I, I would go to some of those meetings, but I never will forget. I watched people that said they were Christians and they didn't seem to have much joy. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And uh, I, I nearly developed a, a, uh, an idea that uh, I want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to hell. But I don't want to go through life looking like that. <laughs> and so I, I decided, you know, just before I die, I'm going to get saved. <laughs> That's not a good philosophy, okay. But anyway, when I was about 13 years old, there was a lady that came to Mannington, Kentucky. And uh, she went around, found out where the children were and so forth. Now, I still can't figure out how she did this, uh, Brother Cobra. But all by herself, she had a vacation Bible school. Mm. Wow. She did the whole thing. She told the story. She served the punch. She did the, the whole thing. And I remember watching her, and it was very obvious. She had the joy of the Lord. Amen. You know? And, and that, that influenced my life so much. And I remember standing there singing since Jesus came into my heart. Yeah. Amen. And I don't know. I might have got saved then. I'm not sure, okay? But uh, uh, after that, I, I, I distinctly remember hearing an old-fashioned Methodist preacher preach on the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't remember that he gave a clear invitation or anything like that. But uh, one, one Monday morning, Bill Welch just leaned over and said to me, he said, hey, Don, we're having a Youth for Christ meeting Saturday night. Uh, I, I sure would like for you to go with me to the meeting. And Bill was a good friend of mine, so I promised him I would go. And as I mentioned last night, I think, that uh, all week long I tried to find some reason not to go. Uh, but then Sunday, Saturday morning when I woke up, uh, I, I woke up with this realization uh, I'm hopeless. I don't have any real purpose for living. Uh, I, I need something real bad. And I knew what I needed was Jesus. I didn't know much about the Bible. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that sinners died, they'd go to hell. Uh, I knew that Jesus had died for my sin, was buried and resurrected. 
And uh, Saturday morning when I woke up, I thought, I'm going to church tonight, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I didn't know what it was. Amen. But thank God there was a Baptist preacher there that came forward when I did and took his Bible and showed me I was, how to Amen. be saved and go to heaven. Amen. And uh, that, that literally, literally changed my life Amen. completely. Amen. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh, Bill Welsh. He, he didn't give me a gospel track. He didn't witness to me. All he did was <laughs> ask me to church. But everybody can do something, Amen. okay? And uh, I, I began to grow in the Lord, not, not as quickly as I should have. And, but uh, Virginia and I got married when I was 19 years old, and she was 17. Mm. Now, you're not old enough to get married if you're 17 or 19, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and we moved to Gary, Indiana, and it was there when we really began to grow. We got into an old-fashioned Baptist church, and uh, um, I can remember the first few Sundays we were there, the preacher would preach against something we were doing every Saturday. <laughs> so we had to go forward about it every time. In fact, I remember uh, uh, the last time I went to a theater. Uh, now you don't have to go to the theater. You can buy the videos, okay? But <laughs> that's a joke, okay? <laughs> but uh, I, I remember watching the movie High, High Noon hmm. at Gary Cooper. It was a great movie, okay? But we went to church the next morning, and Brother Jones preached against the movies, okay? <laughs> and so that's the last time I've been to that. But uh, there we began to grow, and I'd never heard a message on separation. I mean, in my church down in Kentucky, everybody smoked on the church steps, and, you know, and the uh, preacher would talk about going to movies and what he'd seen and so forth. But uh, Brother Jones, he was just an old-fashioned Baptist preacher, and, and we began to grow, and it was there that God began to deal with my heart about being a preacher. Amen. Brother Garlic. Brother Will, it's such a joy to be here. I thank you, Pastor. And I'm so honored to be on the stage with these men. I don't know uh, how many in the church know who we're sitting with, but I'm honored to be here with you guys. My daddy um, wanted to be a missionary, yeah. and he wanted to go to Haiti. And uh, actually took a trip over to Haiti, but they would not give us a visa. And so um, they asked him at Tacoa Falls Bible Institute, Tacoa Falls, Georgia, mm -hmm. if he would teach there while he was waiting. Mm. And uh, the first week he was there, three sisters came over from Hartwell, Georgia, the Cantrell sisters. And they says, well, while you're here, why don't you come over and give us a Bible study in Hartwell on, on Sundays? says, there's not a good church. Well, that grew into Calvary Baptist Church. Amen. Amen. And Dad, uh, that time they didn't have money for church planters. Dad taught public school during the day, worked the factory at night, and, and God blessed, and, and uh, they were able to get some property and uh, build the church building. And then the men came and said, Preacher, we want to do something for you. Said, we want to build you a house. Mm. So right out there on Lake Hartwell, yep. they, built a, they built a house. And I remember Mama and Daddy sitting up and designing it, and it was their dream home. We lived in the house four months. <laughs> and then Daddy said, you know what? He said, God has given me a green light to go to the mission field. Amen. Well, I'm glad Mama responded. Amen. Because I got saved on deputation. Wow. Amen. Praise the Lord. There was a little church in Danielsville, Georgia. You probably know it, Bluestone Baptist Church. And a young man, I don't know who it was, a young preacher boy, got up and preached about hell. And uh, that night we were in the back of an old Pugil going home. 
Um, it seemed like I got static electricity. Every time I turned over, there were sparks <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the mat. I was sleeping on the back of that thing. That's for the, the age of the, the uh, car carriers for the children, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Daddy, I, I, I need to get saved. And Daddy pulled it over beside the road, and, and I did. Amen. Amen. That's a blessing. Yeah. Well, something I was hoping... Let me tell you something funny, Yes, okay. sir. Uh, Br- Brother Garlic's dad, Brother Roland Garlic, great, great missionary. And uh, he, he came with the Baptist International Missions yes. Incorporated. Amen. And I, I was on the board when he came there. And when he went out, somebody said, well, Garlic, I don't know about that name. <laughs> said, uh, well, one, maybe he could change his name. And I said, uh, what do you think you ought to change it to, Onion? <laughs> but he did good with the garlic name. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thankful for the ministry that you've all had. And I was going to ask as well, just for our church, as a you know, new church getting started and a couple years old now, getting ready to celebrate our third anniversary in a few months, and, and Pastor David over here getting ready to start a church in a few months here as well, what would be some advice? As you've seen many churches, you've traveled around the world, you've seen God work in many ways, what are some things that you would say, you know, and I know there'll be some overlap in the answers, that's okay, but just from your perspective, some things that you would say, these are priorities to keep, these are things to focus on, maybe you might have some words of caution, these are some things to avoid, and things like that. Um, any thoughts that you could give that way? We can go in any order here, but I'd appreciate all your thoughts on that. Go ahead. Always be a missions-minded church. Amen. The Great Commission is why we're here, yeah. is to get the gospel across the street and across the sea. Amen. And always keep soul winning at the heart of everything you do. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which is used a lot in preaching faith promise conferences, Paul commended the Macedonian Christians, says they first gave themselves to the Lord. So above everything, give yourself to the Lord and then allow him to use you to give sacrificially for the, to reach souls around you and to reach souls around the world. But never lose sight of the fact that we are here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen, to a lost and dying world. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, as far as starting a church... And uh, we know that we did not actually start the church. Jesus did, okay? That's right. Amen. He said, uh, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And, and so it, it's the Lord that does it. Now, God uses people. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, before I went to Japan, a, a barber was cutting my hair. And that's back in the days when I had hair to cut, okay? <laughs> and uh, he, he stopped right in the midst of cutting the hair and, and looked at me and he said, Don, you're a fool. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's no new revelation. <laughs> you know? He said, you're a fool for going to Japan as a missionary. Now, he'd been in World War II, okay? You're a fool going to Japan as a missionary. And then he, then he used the same statement that a man used to William Carey one time. And he said to him, he said to me, he said, if God wants to save the Japanese, uh, he can do it without you. Mm. And, and I thought for just a minute, and you know, he was a good friend of mine, uh, not a good friend, but an older man that I respected. And I, and I just said to him, I said, Mr. Rogers, I don't have any question at all about the sovereignty of God. I know God could do anything, and he could do it without me. But I said, he won't. Mm-hmm. 
That's exactly Amen. right. The uh, uh, God alone can save the world. Yeah. But God will not save the world alone. God, in His sovereignty, has chosen to use human instrumentality. Amen. So, uh, and there's nothing like just old-fashioned door knocking or whatever you do in Japan. There, you didn't knock doors, but uh, you'd ring a bell, and you usually did not get to talk to anybody, but except through the intercom and so forth. But just door-to-door -door visiting. For instance. Uh, when we started the church in Sydney Newtown, uh, there was 80,000 people living there then. And uh, with the help of other missionaries, and we helped each other a lot, but with the help of other missionaries and so forth, uh, we, we went to every door in, in that apartment area. It was five, six-story apartments, and they didn't have any elevators up and down, up and down. It's a, so I, I never had to go on a diet in Japan, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you got enough exercise to take care of but, but then, uh, I, I, if I was starting a church, and, and we did this, okay? If I was starting a church, I would find a time somewhere uh, to get alone, maybe with two or three other people, and uh, just spend maybe four, three or four days of just praying and fasting. Amen. Now, I know fasting is not a popular Baptist uh, practice, okay? But uh, it, it's a good practice. But just to get away from everything and then to come out of that situation with a realization without God is not going to get done. Amen. And one of my favorite passages is John 15. when Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, the same shall bring forth much fruit. And then he said, without me, you can do nothing. So uh, a dependence, totally dependence upon God. And by the way. We are not responsible for what people do with the message, but we are responsible to get the message Amen. out. Okay. Amen. And uh, Paul, Paul made the statement, I've, watered, I've planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Amen. So uh, just, just to be faithful and uh, then uh, uh, to be uh, patient, that, you know, to, to be willing to wait for God to do a work. But uh, from the very beginning, uh, began to teach the people uh, good Bible doctrine, uh, you know, and, and try to get them in the Word. There's nothing like that would grow people like getting them into the Word. Amen. And uh, as soon as God gives you some people, uh, began to use them. Mm -hmm. Now, you'll be able to do everything that needs to be done in the church better than they could, but that's not the point. <laughs> uh, they, they need to learn, you know. And, of course, in Japan, we were totally dependent on new converts. Uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, some of the young men that began preaching, uh, they hadn't been saved nine months till they were preaching. Mm, right. uh, and I never will forget the man that's pastor of our church now. Uh, he's been there for 50 years now, pastor, because I was only there three years, okay? And, uh, but he preached his first sermon after nine months, and he preached on the Trinity. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, I've been preaching all these years. I've never preached. On, and I still haven't preached on the Trinity, okay? <laughs> but uh, he, he, did, he did a good job, you know. Amen. And some of the Sunday school teachers, uh, we had Sunday school in different parts of the city. And uh, they, they had not been saved over uh, four or five months. And uh, Virginia would teach them Sunday school lesson. And, and then they would teach the lesson uh, to the children. So use the people. Uh, you're not going to be able to do it your, by, by yourself. You're going to need people. And, and as soon as people get saved, uh, teach them about giving. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I never will forget this. I said to, to Coggy one time, he was the one that interpreted for me the first four or five months of the church. And I said, well, the people are coming, but they're not giving anything. He said, they don't need to. I said, what do you mean they don't need to? He said, they know you'll take care of it if they don't give. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the next Sunday, I said, now, Virginia and I are going to put our tithe in the church. But after that, uh, if we don't have the, the tithe to pay the rent, then we, we won't be able to pay the rent and so forth. And, and they began to give. And by the <laughs> way, right now, uh, and it, it's so many years passed, and Dr. Ogawa has uh, actually done the great majority of the work in building the church. But it's one of the most giving churches in the whole Amen. world. Amen. Uh, I, I think they give to missions, Brother White, something like $300,000 a year. That's correct. Uh, and they have seven missionaries. Maybe a little bit more than that now. Yeah. But any, anyway, just uh, uh, be sure that you're where God wants you to be. Amen. And, and then let God do the work through you. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. As, as good a man as Brother Will Cover is, uh, he can't do this by himself. No. And he knows that. You know that. Uh, it takes teamwork. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. By the way, I'm, I'm an evangelist, and so I'm in a lot of churches. Um, December of this year, I'll, I'll well have been preaching 49 years. Wow. And so I've been mm -hmm. in a lot of churches. I said that to say this. When I get around a church like this, it excites me. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know how many of you were saved in the church here, and to you, this might—you might think all the churches are like this one. No. But God's doing something special here. Amen. And like. Uh, Dr. Sisk said, God, the sovereign God, has chosen to, I want you to get this, always use people. Mm -hmm. That's right. As a matter of fact, no one who is saved today is saved unless some human being was the instrument that brought them the gospel. No one. And you say, well, I, that's, that's wrong. I was saved reading the Bible all by myself at home. Yes, and someone printed the Bible. And if you want to get right <laughs> back to the root of the thing, God, the sovereign God, chose holy men. Yes. He didn't have to do that to write those scriptures. That's right. Yeah. So I want you to listen to the heart of this evangelist. It's not an accident that you're here. That's right. Because God's building something bigger than us. Amen. Bigger Amen. than us. And in future years, we're going to say, I was there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of, kind of neat being here for the first missions conference. Yeah. Kind of like the ground floor, guys. Yeah. You know? and, and, and so here's the thing. Um, pastor asked us to say, what do we need to do? You need to do three things. First of all, holy God demands purity. Mm -hmm. and that's a constant battle. Clean water should be served in clean vessels. That's right. Number two, humility. And humility is not feeling inferior because you are not inferior to anyone. There are people that you can reach for Christ that no one else in this whole world will be able to do it because mm -hmm. God has been preparing you your whole life for that. Amen. Humility is a total and complete dependence on God, and that's why I think it's so wise what uh, Dr. Sisk said about, let's get apart and let's pray. Amen. <laughs> you know, help, I need you, God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
And then, then the third thing is complete and total obedience to God's Word. Mm -hmm. I want to remind you, slow obedience is no obedience. <laughs> okay? And partial obedience is partially disobedience. That's right. But when we're willing to do exactly what God says, do it the way God says it, do it immediately, do it completely, in purity and humility, I have a promise for you. God will do all the rest. Amen. And it would probably frighten us if we knew all the things that we're going to need <laughs> over the course of the next few years. Yes. Okay? <laughs> and yet God knows it. He's going to provide and He will use people. He's not going to rain gold in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. He always uses people, okay, <laughs> to, to get it done, okay? But you know what? Uh, he will not make us pure. That's something we have to choose. And He will not uh, cause us to be humble and prayerfully dependent on Him, praying without ceasing. And He will not force us to obey. He's given us our own will. Mm -hmm. But when we do that, God will do all the rest. Amen. Amen. Could I give you a, a, a good definition of humility? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you hear people say, well, I'm not very smart. Uh, I'm not very good looking. And I often say, that's not humility. No. That's just stating facts, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, but the bottom line is, humility is not thinking badly no. about yourself. No. That's right. That's humility good. is not thinking about yourself. That's mm. right. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's good. Uh, if there be any consolation, then help others. And and the uh, greatest thing a Christian can do is just to be a help to somebody else. Amen. 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 And I would add, in the mission fields, God used the nationals to build the ministries in Japan. Amen. Maybe we missionaries were pioneers and got things started, but... Uh, God used the nationals, and I would encourage the couple or three that are here that are church planters. Amen. Being in America doesn't mean you don't have nationals. That's right. Your nationals are sitting right out there. Mm -hmm. And if you don't utilize your nationals and allow them to help you, the main task of a church planting pastor or a, an old pastor is to teach the people to do the work of the ministry. Amen. And that means the people are supposed to do the work of the ministry. And the only way churches grow in Japan is when that little nucleus that God gives you in the beginning brings other people to church and wins them to the Lord and, and sees God work in their hearts. So you see, it's, it's a collective thing that we work together. Don't depend upon your pastor Amen. to build your church. Amen. And that, that's my final advice, I guess. Well, thank you. That's very helpful. Brother Sis, did you add something you wanted to add? I saw you had your Bible out, so. Well, you know, when he's, in, uh, he's talking about, I can't, I'm, I'm not finding the verse. But, but he gave some advantages, some pastors, some, uh, yeah. for the, yeah, that, you know, and, and then, to, in, in other words, somebody find that verse for me. For the equipping of the saints to do huh? the work of the ministry. Yeah, go ahead and quote it. Yeah, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers uh, for the equipping of the saints okay. to do the work of the ministry. For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, that is totally different than American churches look at it, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, most, most Christians in America 
are, are just some just spectators. Mm -hmm. they, they come to church, but they expect the pastor, pastoral staff, and so forth. And if we're not careful, uh, we, we'll, we'll have all the pastoral staff to do all the work that the Christians ought to be doing, and so mm -hmm. forth. But uh, uh, the, the pastors are not supposed to do all the work. That, that, that's the work of the people. His work is to train the people. And uh, I often tell missionaries and mission conferences and in, in, in Bible colleges, I'm speaking and so forth, that I believe that today the main job of missionaries uh, is to train nationals. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, that doesn't mean the missionary does not win souls. In, in fact, if, if you don't win souls, you are not even claiming to be a missionary. All right. yeah. okay. Amen. But uh, it doesn't mean that a missionary will not maybe pioneer a work. But uh, the primary job... Uh, there is no success without a successor. There's no continuous success. There may be immediate success and so forth, but if a ministry is to continue, then there must be trained leaders. And uh, uh, when, when we started the school in Japan, uh, I had sent one young man to another Bible school. And I thought, you know, they were, it was a mixture of uh, German Baptists and Mennonite Brethren. Now, I looked at their doctrinal statement. They looked pretty good, okay? So I had, had this young man to go to that Bible school. And every week when he came back, he was doing something that he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> uh, in fact, I, I went to church one morning, and on the front of our bulletin were the five points of Calvinism. <laughs> you know, so, so I began to think, if I'm going to have to reteach him everything that he's run, learned long, uh, then maybe it would be better to have our own Bible school. So uh, in the beginning, uh, what de eventually developed in Kansai Independent Baptist Bible College, uh, I, I just uh, in, uh, enlisted Brother White, Brother Dave Markham, and uh, Brother Lee Lanier, who is a den and it came from Houston, Texas, okay? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, each of us taught one class. <laughs> now, we were all new, you know. And we had a real big building. It was a... Uh, a uh, six, uh, uh, three by six room, right? Near, not near as big as this class. No, 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 not near. But we had a table, you know, and the teacher had set up the front, and there were four students that would sit around it. But uh, all four of those students have been in the ministry all these years. Amen. Amen. And then eventually that developed in the Consign Independent Baptist Bible College, and of course Brother White was there with that school for, for like something like 150 years, something. Like <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it has trained leaders and uh, that's the reason there's many churches as there are in japan amen we'll get me that bottle of water yeah Thanks. well thank you very much i know we could probably have a long more conversation but uh, i wanted to be able to give plenty of time for brother garlic to be able to preach okay. tonight so i think alan and laura are going to come and sing a special for us now and uh we'll slide off the stage here amen. and you can stay right there brother and uh We'll continue on with the service. I'd rather walk off the stage. All right. I, I, I'm not sure I'm good at sliding. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> it's a Baptist church, and we got the back sliders we have to worry about. So. I may slide off. All right. You, we'll slide <laughs> off together. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Let me, let me say a word. Let, let, let me just say a word. Uh, You've cut me off, Okay. <laughs> Uh, let, let, me, let me just say a word about uh, Brother Will Carver, okay? And uh, you, you are very fortunate Amen. that uh, God has put on the heart of a man like this 
to come and, and to labor. He and his, and his good wife and their children. And uh, uh, pray for them on a regular basis. Uh, every pastor has a target on his back. And the devil would really like to destroy this ministry. And uh, the way to prevent that is to really pray. And uh, uh, just really try to spoil them, okay? And uh, you're, you're not going to do too many good things for them. I had a good friend that had a uh, 30th anniversary not long ago at the church. And they gave the uh, pastor a new uh, 150 Ford pickup real fancy and gave his wife a new Lexus SR CRB or something like that so uh, you, you're not going to do too much for the carvers okay and uh, I pray for them uh, get behind them uh, somewhere along the line he'll probably make a mistake somewhere okay uh, <laughs> but remember okay he's human okay but uh, he, he loves God, Amen. and he loves you people, right. and, he, and he has a great burden. And I, I believe from the depth of my heart, uh, you're looking at a 50-year vision, right, preacher? Yes, okay. And uh, this is the way to begin a 50-year vision, Amen. you know. And uh, lo love one another. You are a part of the body of Christ. Amen. And uh, you're not the whole body, okay? <laughs> uh, you're, you're one one. I'll never forget going to a uh, one-day seminar, uh, and the teaching was on uh, the body of Christ, First uh, Corinthians 12, okay? And I don't think I learned anything new that day, by the way. Uh, but uh, I listened to five different messages on the body of Christ. And I had preached a lot from those passages and so forth. At that time, I was the president of BIMI. And I remember driving home from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, to uh, back to Chattanooga, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. And I, I, I got to thinking about what I learned that day. And, and all I could think of was this, that uh, there's a lot of, lot of different workers in Baptist International Missions Incorporated. And uh, th there's just so many things that I cannot do. Uh, I, I can remember uh, being asked to become the president, and I, all I could think of was I, I can't do that. And, and I knew that I couldn't, but I knew that God could. And I, I don't think I learned anything new, Brother Bill, but as I drove back that, that day, all I could think of was this. I'm, I'm just one person. But I am one person. And uh, uh, there's just a lot of things I don't know and I can't do and one of the mistakes that uh, most pastors make in independent Baptist churches is that they hire people to their strength and you don't need people to your strength uh, and all of my life and probably that's my only real uh, administrative gift is finding good men and letting them do it and as I drove home that night, I thought, there's so many things I can't do. There's so many things I don't know. But I am one person. I do know something. And I am one part of the body of Christ. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do the best I can with that. And uh, if, if every member, and that's not just for the pastor, but for every member of the church, 
Uh, and by the way, there, there are no insignificant people in Arise Baptist Church. Uh, there's no, no unimportant people. I learned a great lesson one time uh, with a great challenge. And the challenge was this. Uh, this week, everybody you meet, treat them as if they were the most important person on the face of the earth. Now, you, you're talking about changing your life. That, that can change your life. Uh, I have a great friend, uh, Jeff Amstock, and he's given this testimony every time I go to his church. He said, Brother Sis came to my church when I was 16 years old, and he played basketball with me. We played Uno together. And he said, he treated me like I was the most important person in the whole world. And I've been in every church that Brother Amsbog has pastored, and he always gave me a good love offering. So it pays to be good to people, okay? <laughs> no, if he didn't, never gave me a penny, it, 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 just to invest in people, okay? But uh, you're important. You're important to God. That's good. Thank you. Bless you, Pastor. This is a dream come true for me. I have been desiring to get here for about two years. I had the joy of going to school with Pastor's dad. And uh, he and I have been friends for many, many years. And um, I remember your pastor from his childhood. Um, and so, of course, I was very excited to see what God's doing here. I, um, I want to thank you, Pastor, for your, for your invitation, for the joy. I also want to thank Dr. Sisk for all you invested in me. And uh, the Lord knows I love you. And I thank God for you and for your ministry. And thanking, thank you for making me be important even as a little boy when my daddy was with me, I am mine, and beyond. By the way, if you try what he said, it will change your life. Because I heard him say it a few years back, and I've been trying it, and it does. It works. So that's a blessing. Amen. It's good to have my wife here with us. And I thank God for good caregivers. Um, I've always had a burden for Cuba. When we were at school together, we had uh, 2,000 students that would gather every night for what we called Mission Prayer Band. And uh, I, I was privileged to be president of that group. And we got a hold of a phone book from Havana, Cuba. And so we started writing, uh, handwriting every night, all 2,000 students. We would hand address envelopes to every address in the Havana, Havana uh, a, a phone book, and we'd sent tracks in to, to the whole city. Everybody stressed there. I don't know if any if anyone got saved or what the results were. I always had a desire, and uh, the Lord brought across my path Dr. Willie Bertobusa. I don't have time to tell you all about him, but he was uh, um, a doctor to Fidel Castro. Very intelligent man, maybe the smartest man I've ever known, and. He worked it out for us to get a religious visa to go to Cuba. Now, that's not the tourist visa. That's the religious visa. So we got to live with the pastors. We, get to, we, got, we, could, we could preach on the, on the streets. We could hand out tracts just like a Cuban, okay? Before we went there, I got a little pain in my, in my stomach. 
So I did a, a lab test in Hermosillo, Mexico, and they told me it was a fungus, that I'd picked up a parasitic fungus. They told me the medicine I'd need to get. So I uh, went to Cuba, and I found out something about Cuba. You cannot find medicine in Cuba. They literally called every pharmacy within 200 kilometers of the church, and they found one pill of the medicine I needed. The pain started getting a little worse. The next conference we had was in Bolivia. I went straight from the airport to the pharmacy, bought the medicine, and started taking it. That was a three-day conference, and it did not help. So I called my dear wife and I asked her to make me an appointment with a doctor when I got back to the States. We went into the doctor and the doc says, well, we need to do a CT scan, find out what's going on in there. And so we scheduled that as early as we could. I think that was a Monday that I'd just gotten back. And so they scheduled it for Friday, but I didn't make Friday. Tuesday I was at ER. And I said, something's going on, the pain is just too much. And they said, well, let's do that CT scan right now. If there's a, a video in heaven, I hope you'll, you'll watch this. It's almost comical. Because my wife and I are there in the bed in the emergency room. And they gave us a private room there. And all of a sudden, this parade of doctors comes. And they had the psychiatrist. And they had chairs. And they all set the chairs down and they sat around my bed. And I thought, this, this, this is unusual. This, this cannot be good news. <laughs> the doctor said, uh, we regret to tell you, you have pancreatic cancer. And it looks like it's inoperable. I told you that to tell you this. As soon as they said it, a peace came into my heart that has never left. And I want to tell you, the rain will fall on the just and on the unjust. But the just has Jesus. That makes all the difference. So they said, let's see if we can reduce it enough to operate. They said, we're not optimistic. Let's see if we can do that. And I have been through the chemotherapy. I have been through the radiation. I've been through about everything they can throw at me. And the good news is the tumor has not grown. But the bad news is, is now it is totally inoperable. Um, there were veins going through the tumor. And the tumor internally has grown to cut off some of those veins. So they have me on another round of chemotherapy, but the doctors have told me they don't have a lot of hope. They said that I might make it till summer, summertime. And uh, of course, the great physician has not spoken yet. Okay, And I will not be surprised if he heals me. And if he doesn't, blessed be his name. But in the meantime, I'm still here. And I still get to preach. <laughs> and I still get to serve him. So that's a joy for me. Pastor asked me to share with you a song God gave me as we were going through this, and so I'm going to do that.
Sometimes life takes a turn that just surprises me. Sometimes I can't see the reason why. So I'll just trust your loving hand to guide me. Rest upon the grace that you supply. Think about it. For you are God, the great I am, and nothing will I fear when you are near. Trusting in guiding hand your grace will work what's best in my life here I don't know how, how many of you speak Spanish but they say it's the language of heaven <laughs> nothing wrong with getting a head start <laughs> a veces en la vida me sorprendo yo A veces yo no entiendo el porqué, pero en ti confío pues, tú tienes el control y en tu gracia yo descansaré. Tú eres Dios. Gran yo soy, nada temeré, contigo estoy. You know what? He doesn't make any mistakes, does he? Do any of you think God makes a mistake? You see, these things surprise me, but not him. Hmm? So if you don't, and I, I'm aware of this. Do you know there are people here hurting here right now tonight? Yeah. Right now, there are people who came with broken hearts tonight. And I've prayed and asked God, I don't know the needs, but he does. To help me be a blessing to you tonight. So sometimes you don't understand the things you're going through. Sometimes you can't see the reason why. Learn to trust in Jesus. He will see you through. And run to that sweet grace He will supply. Because He's still God. The great I am. trust his love for you it's true and everything it's in his plan his grace will always work what's best for you and you can trust his grace to see you through makes no mistakes and you know what um, one of the things 
that I'm finding out is that he gets sweeter as the days go by. Uh, Billy, could you do something for me? Back in the back, there's some tracks that are called How to Be Saved. Would you get a huge handful of that for me and bring it up here? I'm going to do this before I start. We do this at all the Lost Spotter conferences. Um, last year, we had 137 Lost Spotter conferences <laughs> around the world. I'm going to need a lot. Are there more than this? Get a bunch of them. Get the ushers out here. Um, this little track, my daddy wrote this when he didn't speak a word of Spanish. He wrote this tract in Spanish. And this tract is not for you to give to someone and say, here, let me give you a gift. No, 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 no. If that's what you're going to do with it, don't take it. This tract is designed for you to sit down and physically read it out loud to them. That's what the tract's for. And every... Um, um, yeah, uh, if the ushers come up here to the front, just come on up to the front. And then I do have some in Spanish, um, but just English right now. Um, don't, don't hand them out just yet. Um, last, the last uh, season, conference season, we printed 100,000 of these. And, and we gave them out to Christians just like you that made the same promise I'm going to ask you. And the conferences. We had to print more. I like those kind of problems. Amen. Okay. But this, this tract is just designed for you to sit down and read it with somebody you love. Okay. And I know the number one reason sometimes we don't share the gospel is we're not sure exactly what to say. Well, this is going to give you a train track for the train to run on. Okay. And uh, so this is what I ask them to promise in the last part of conferences. If you're willing to sit down and read this with, with a specific person, you should have the name of the person in your mind when you take the gift. With a specific person. Somebody you know that's not saved. How many of you have unsaved relatives? How many, how many of you have unsaved neighbors? Maybe you work with somebody, go to school. If you're willing to sit down and read it with, some, with a specific person, I want to give you one, okay? And, and all I'm going to ask you to do is just keep that promise and sit down and read it with them. So everybody raises their hand. Go ahead and give them one of those tracks, okay? If you'd like to do that, just raise your hand, okay? And um, praise the Lord. I like what Brother Ron said about keeping focused on missions and souls. Amen. Every preacher has faced what I'm facing tonight. And um, that is that I have the message I want to preach. And then I have the message God wants me to preach. <laughs> and by God's grace, I, I, I'm happy to tell you that I have never stood in the pulpit and preached the message I want to preach. <laughs> I'd be scared to death to try that. Uh, it could be this message is just for one person. Sometimes God sends a preacher to a conference just to preach to one person. You may be the only one that needs this message. But somebody here is discouraged. I want to talk to you about why we've got to keep on keeping on. 
why we can't stop. And I'm going to deal with the heart of Faith Promise Missions. John chapter 21. I love um, the beloved disciple. We're not going to be looking so much at him. What a hero. John chapter 21. I'm going to read um, the first few verses of this of this chapter. You just follow along with your sight if you would please. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were gathered together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you to meet those needs that we know not of. And Father, we do ask you to stir our heart for missions. I'm going to ask you right there where you're seated in silence. If you would just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. Speak to me tonight. Thank you, God, for answering prayer. This we thank you for in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The chapter begins with this phrase, after these things. And so if we want to understand the chapter, we have to understand what things come before it. What the passage is saying is, uh, because of what has happened, let me tell you the rest of the story. 
because of, 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 of what I've written in this book, uh, now let me tell you how it ends, okay? Let me tell you how we finish. And uh, tonight we're going to be focused on Peter. By the way, you remember the night of his call? He fished all night that night and didn't catch anything that night either. As a matter of fact, uh, when Jesus was there on the seashore, they were washing their nets. They had quite a business going. And uh, Peter was the CEO. He was in charge of it. He was the boss man. And um, they must have had a, a good business going because they had lots of nets. By the way, it's a laborious task to wash those nets. And, and Christ asked, could I, could I use your boat? By the way, when Christ asks something, it's never because he wants to receive. Always because he wants to give. Do you remember the Samaritan woman? He asked her for water, but there's no record that he drank a drop. He wanted to give her the water of life. And so, when Christ had finished preaching from the boat, he said something that I want to say to a Rise Baptist church. He said, Cast thy nets into the deep. Cast thy nets into the deep. And if you read Peter's words, you might think that he obeyed, but remember we talked about partial obedience is partially disobedience. And Peter didn't want to get all the nets dirty again. So he said, um, respectfully with diplomatic terms, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. And in essence, what he was saying is, you're the carpenter's son, I'm the fisherman. And let me tell you, this is not a good time for fishing. But he said, nevertheless, at thy word, we'll do it. But he didn't. He just threw one net. And of course, that net broke. <laughs> and by the way, church, I'm here to tell you that if you don't cast the nets, there's going to be a lot of fish get away. I wonder how many fish got away before he got the help from land. And by the way, if there's a video in heaven, I want to see Peter making those desperate signs to the disciples. Come, bring the rest of the nets. Come on. <laughs> it's here. What he had been looking for all night didn't matter to him anymore. What he'd been looking for all night wasn't important. He abandoned the business. He left the, the great catch of fish. He left the nets, left the boats. And Christ said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And by the way, I thank God for the scriptures because they're honest. I thank God that God does not just tell us the successes of our heroes, but he also tells us of their failings. And, and I'm very selfish when I say that because it gives me hope. <laughs> this Peter uh, was always putting his foot in his mouth. You remember when they went up the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, Peter got all excited? 
There was a group of three that were the most intimate, Peter, James, and John, and Christ got apart with them, and Moses and Elijah appeared there. Peter said, Lord, this is, this is wonderful. He said, let's build three tabernacles. And, and Moses and Elijah said, I'm not having any part of this. <laughs> they disappeared. <laughs> and God was furious with Peter because he was putting Moses and Elijah on the same level with Jesus. And he, a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And by the way, thank God for his patience and his grace. Christ many times says, don't fear. You know, if you go through the scriptures, you look at all the passages that tell us not to, not, to, not to fear. There's 365. I figure that gives me one for every day. <laughs> don't fear. Without even trying to, some of what Peter did was so insulting. Remember the fig tree? Christ wanted to see fruit. By the way, he wants to see fruit in your life and in my life. And when he got up close, there was no fruit. It wasn't the time of harvest. It was the time of the green figs. And what he was looking for was, are those preacher boys, those nationals. <laughs> and you know what? He, uh, he found there were none. This tree wasn't getting ready to produce. So many churches have become just a social club. Where it's all about me. And what does the church offer me? You know, yet as John Kennedy said about our country, that's not what your church can do for you, but what can you do for your Christ through your church? It's about Him. The next day they came out and the fig tree had withered. Do you remember the story? And Peter was surprised. Now that's the insult. Haven't you seen that what this man says happens? <laughs> you know, you've seen the lame walk, you've seen the blind see, you've seen the lepers be healed, you've seen the storms calmed, and, and now you're surprised that the fig tree's withered? <laughs> God's, Christ was so patient. Talking to somebody before service, every once in a while Peter came out with a pearl. When they abandoned him, the fair weather friends, the fair weather disciples, Christ said, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Come to the Last Supper. As they sat there, Christ girded himself with a towel Begin to do the work of a slave. Begin to wash the feet of the disciples. And Peter said, Lord, no, 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 no. You're going to wash my feet? And Christ said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Peter said, oh, wash my hair too. <laughs> I want to part with you. Christ said, you don't understand what I'm doing. Later you'll understand. He was teaching us servant leadership. Then he, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples began to ask, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? 
All the artist's pictures have Peter seated right, seated right at the right hand of Christ, but Peter was not close to Christ. John was close to Christ. John had his head resting on his, on his chest. But Peter, when he wanted to get John to ask him, the Bible says he made signs. If he'd have been close, he'd have just whispered, you ask him. <laughs> he just said, you ask him. And John didn't say, is it I? The love he had for Christ was so deep and profound. The only disciple who did not run, who did not abandon Christ, was John. His love was so rich and full for the Master. Christ showed who it was by handing the bread. Do you remember? Well, then Peter began to brag. He said, Lord, these may abandon you, but I won't. I'm willing to not only die for you, I'm willing to, I'm, not, I'm willing not only to go to prison for you, I'll die for you. And Christ said, you're going to deny me tonight. And Peter said, no, no, you're just omniscient God in the flesh and know everything, but you're wrong. <laughs> they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the story? Christ left the three to pray, and he says, pray. And, I, and he went apart for an hour, and he came back, and they were sleeping. <laughs> but he did not scold John or James, but he did Peter. Peter's the one that had bragged. And uh, he said, Peter, couldn't you pray with me one hour? You who are willing to die for me? It's like the boy who told his girlfriend, I'd be willing to cross the fire of the volcano to be with you. I would uh, uh, go through the winds of Hurricane Harvey to be with you. But, and I'll see you Thursday if it doesn't rain. <laughs> Words are so cheap. It's easy to profess our love for Christ. Peter wanted to prove it when Judas came and noticed the words of Christ. And by the way, Christ never misspoke. Every word he spoke was entirely accurate. And when Judas came, note the words of Christ, he said, friend. And he knew why he had come. And then he said, whence comest thou? When Christ asks a question, it's never because he needs information. When Christ asks a question, it's because he wants us to focus on something. Right. What he was really saying was, Judas, have you really thought about what you're doing? I still consider you a friend. And Judas betrayed him with the sign of a kiss. I don't know where Peter got the sword whether he took it with him or whether he took it away from one of the soldiers, but somehow he got his hand on a sword. And I know he was trying to chop the head off because the scripture says all he got was the ear. And the only way I can think of the physics making that possible is the sword had to be moving this way, trying to chop a head off, and the object of the sword ducked. Got the ear. The scripture says that Christ scolded Peter and said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. The next 
few verses tell us that Peter began to follow from afar. Did you know that there are Christians that sometimes begin to follow from afar? And they go through the motions and they sing the songs. They shout amen at the right spot. But they've started to follow from afar. John didn't. He was right with him. He went right into the tribunal with Christ. And when he saw Peter wasn't there, he went out and procured the entrance of Peter. But Peter didn't go in. He stayed on the patio and he began to warm his hands on the fire of the enemies of Christ. G. Campbell Morgan says you can't warm your hands at the fire of the enemies of Christ without sooner or later betraying your Christ. Be careful who you're chatting with. Teenagers. Adults. One of the people seated there with him said, you're one of him, and he denied it. No! The second time, and then the third time, one of the very relatives of the man whose ear Peter had cut off said, your speech betrays you. You talk like one of his disciples. And Peter began to use the words that he had learned as a sailor. With foul language, began to deny Christ. And that's when the rooster crowed. The scripture gives us the picture of Christ being moved from the religious tribunal to the civil tribunal. At that very moment, he and Peter locked eyes. And Peter said, I failed. I'm all washed up. I'm no good. We don't hear about Peter until Resurrection Day. John was there. He was at the cross. By the way, I've always found it interesting. Christ knew he loved him so much that he could commit him without John being committed. Because he said, first to Mary... Woman, behold thy son. And then he said as an afterthought to John, Oh, by the way, you'll take care of her. <laughs> Resurrection day. The ladies going to the tomb, talking among themselves, how are we going to roll away the stone? When they got there, the stone was rolled away, not because Christ needed it to get out. He rolled it away so everybody else could get in and see that he wasn't there. And the angel appeared and said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. And then the love and mercy of God, because he said, Go tell his disciples, and then specifically said, And Peter. Because see, Peter didn't consider himself worthy to be a disciple anymore. If the message had come back, I have a message for the disciples, Peter would have said, It's not for me. But she said, I have a message for the disciples and you, Peter. <laughs> the two ran to the tomb. Peter did not go inside. John did. The Bible says he saw and believed. I remember the message Brother Sisk preached about the napkin <laughs> years ago. And those of you who didn't hear it, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. When the 
Lord or the master would leave the table, if he was coming back, he would fold the napkin and lay it carefully there, which meant don't touch anything, I'm coming back, I'm not finished here. And if he was done, he would just throw it loosely. And Christ, on the moment of resurrection, folded it and left a sign there. He said, I'm not done, I'm coming back. That's what happened before chapter 21. And now we get to chapter 21, I'm going to give you four reasons that we can't turn back. First reason, huh? the harm it will do to others. Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. And the other disciple says, we're going with you. Peter took the whole crew back to the old life. What are you doing, Peter? God called you from fishing for fish. He made you a fisherman of men. What are you, what are you doing going back to the old life? By the way, no one can discourage me like me. <laughs> but the grace of God is sufficient that he can even use our mistakes for his glory. And I know God is not finished with you because your heart's still beating. And I know God is not finished with you because he has brought you to this church at this time. And I know God is not finished with you because he sent an evangelist to preach this night with a message burning in his soul. You don't know it, but there's somebody that's looking up to you. You don't know it, but somebody's waiting on you. I was 16 years old in Platon Sanchez, Mexico. Did y'all ever know Jose Lara, the famous missionary down there in Tamazun, Charlie? He graduated with Mike Casillas and with Dad from Bob Jones, Senator under Bob Jones Sr. Jose Lara, um, we were down there for a La Spada conference, 1974. And um, I went to the river to go swimming. Actually, I went to get a bath. <laughs> I took a bar of soap swimming. <laughs> when I came back to the main plaza, there was a, uh, a little taco stand all the tables had somebody sitting seated at them. And I put my order in and I asked one of the men seated alone, could I sit with you? And he said, sure you can. Have you ever been somewhere and the Holy Spirit prompts you? Tell them about Jesus. Or give them that track. You prompted me today. They're in the hotel. Have you ever been somewhere? One lady said, how do I know that's God? And my daddy said, do you think it's the devil? <laughs> <laughs> so I began to talk to him have you ever been in a restaurant when you're sitting down and, and everybody's trying to eavesdrop on you so I said they all want to hear so I stood up and said how about I tell you all and they turned their chairs and then the next thing you know a bus stopped and it was into the line and I know these men could tell you about how they pack buses <laughs> and they got off the bus and and uh, so I got a chair and stood up on it, and I began to preach the simple gospel message. Jesus paid it all. Can't, you, you can't save yourself. 
A good work today won't erase the sin from yesterday. I can't pay for yours, I owe for mine. You can't pay for mine, you owe for yours. But he who, he who never owed, never sinned. The God in flesh came and died. I, I, and when I gave the invitation, right at that moment, must have been about a dozen, maybe more of the Bible Institute students came walking into the plaza. And so I said, how many of you would like to make this be the moment, this be the, the, the time that you decide to say yes to Jesus? I do want you to save me. And they raised their hands. I said, okay, good. And I got the Bible Institute students and they were sitting on this bench and we filled up the plaza there. And uh, I told you that to tell you about one elderly lady, wrinkled face, white hair. I'm sure she's with the Lord now. But she was in the group I talked to. And uh, she did choose to call on the Lord for salvation. And then after I got done, I went around to see if anybody else needed help and she's following me. So I turned around and she, I said, may I help you? She says, no, you've already helped me. And I said, okay. So I kept walking and she's still following me. And I turned around, she had her hand held out to me like this. And I thought she wanted to shake my hand. So I put my hand out and she had one of the old five peso coins. Some of the old timers remember that big old five peso when a peso was still worth a peso back then, you know. And she pushed that coin into my hand. I said, no, ma'am, I didn't come for your money. And she began to cry. And she said, young man, I've been waiting all my life to hear what you just told me. Do you know somebody's waiting to hear from you? Can't go back. The harm will lead others. Second reason. Can't go back. There's nothing there for us. <laughs> they fished all night and caught nothing. <laughs> Listen, we sing a song in Spanish. I understand what, what the song means in Spanish, but it says, um, this world doesn't offer anything. Christ offers salvation. Este mundo nada ofrece, Cristo ofrece salvación. And, and, and that song's not entirely accurate. Yeah, compared to Christ, the world offers nothing. But don't tell me it offers nothing because it offered something to Demas. And this whole world's pulling at you with the lust of the flesh. We live in a hedonistic, epicurean society that's looking for pleasure. Some people are looking to come to church to get entertained. Lust of the eyes, possessions, pride of life, prestige, power. But I have something to tell you. Okay, you're going to turn your back on Christ? You're going to go back to the old life? There's nothing there for you. Amen. I promise you, the most miserable people I know are not the unsaved. Amen. They're Christians that went back to fishing. <laughs> nothing there for you. God is so big, he can miraculously make all the fish swim away from your net. <laughs> and love to you. Some of you may be experiencing that. God's touched your heart and asked you to move to another level. And you're hanging on. And you're saying, no. 
And all of a sudden, you find out your business just isn't doing what it used to do. <laughs> God's so merciful. Can't go back. Christ has everything. I remember old brother Lester Roloff. Bread and fish upon the fire. Jesus has the heart's desire. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. And by the way, um, he not only filled their net, and interestingly enough, this time he didn't say nets. This time he said net, and this time it didn't break. Praise the Lord. Not going to give him a chance to disobey again. And then when John said, it's the Lord. And Peter had to deal with his nakedness because he'd gone back to the old life, so now he's peeling the clothes off. When he heard it was the Lord, he girt his clothes back on, and he twice abandoned the catch. (laughs) He threw himself in the water and went swimming right for the shore. And when he got there, there's bread and fish upon the fire. And by the way, I can tell you that God has everything. Don't you believe it for a minute if you serve God that you're going to end up with with nothing. God takes good care of his servants. God takes good care of his servants. And I promise you this, if you choose, and it is a choice, to impurity and humility and obedience serve him, I promise you it will be rough. But I promise you you'll be happy. If you could look into my heart right now, you'd know I couldn't be happier. There's a joy only he can give. But there's a deeper reason. It is so very true that if you choose to turn back, that you will hurt a lot of people. And it is true that if you choose to turn back, you'll find nothing that satisfies. And it is true that if you choose to turn back, you'll miss out on all he has for you. By the way, I'm writing a book called How to Deal with with Despair and Despondency. A lot of our, our, our brothers and sisters are battling that right now. And, and have you ever noticed that when God dealt with despair and despondency, he always met, listen to me, the physical needs first. He wasn't going to deal with the heart issues until they'd had breakfast. Remember Elijah? Ran from Jezebel, lost the revival. And the angel of the Lord, which in the Old Testament is Jesus, appeared and fed him. And says, get some rest, because I'm not done with you yet. You still got a long way to go, fella. <laughs> but after, oh, and by the way, this is interesting too. Do you think Christ didn't know how many people were coming for breakfast? Of course he knew. Well, why didn't he prepare enough food? Because he wanted to give Peter a second chance. He said, fellas, we're a little short here. Could anybody bring me some of the fish we just caught? <laughs> and old Peter, he jumped up. And by the way, if God, 
And His mercy and grace gives you a second chance. Don't despise it. Run to it. Amen. God's given somebody here tonight a second chance. Yeah. Run to it. Don't run from it. Run to it. Yes, sir. Huh? But then after he'd fed him, he said, Now, Peter, I'm sorry, he didn't say that. He said, Simon. Because remember, Christ changed his name. Called him the Little Rock. Once he told Peter, he says, You're the Little Rock. But I want you to know that upon this rock, referring to himself, I'll build my church. Uh -huh. You know, uh, he said, Simon, you're going to go back to your old life? I'm going to give you your old name back. Son of Jonas. Something how God knows us. By the way, as a parent, the thing that frustrates me the most is when I see my weaknesses showing up in, in our kids. <laughs> I know some parents get so upset at the kids. You know what? This morning when I, when, I got, when I got in the hotel to try to get this hair, by the way, it's coming back in, isn't it? I tried to, I tried to get it kind of combed into shape. I looked in the mirror and it was standing up like a lightning bolt had hit me. And I didn't get mad at the mirror at all. I just decided to comb the hair. <laughs> if you see things in your kids, give them the gift my daddy gave me. A character flaw I battle. But you know, the last 20 years of his life, he and the power of the Holy Spirit overcame it. it gives me hope. That's what you give your kids. He said, Simon, son of Jonas, I, I wonder, do you love me with agape love, with heavenly, celestial, perfect love more than these? It's interesting there, the word for these, if you study it, almost always refers to people and not things. The term Christ used was the term saying, you used to brag that you loved me more than these guys, that you were willing to die for me, and they weren't. Do you still think you're better than them? Peter said, Lord, you know everything. I love you with phileo love, with that brotherly, warm human sentiment. And Christ said, if that's true, get back to doing what I called you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. He asked it the second time. And this time he didn't say, do you love me with agape love, with heavenly love more than these? This time he said, do you love me with heavenly love at all? And Peter again responded, I love you with the brotherly love, the human phileo love. And Christ again repeated, if that's true, what are you doing here fishing for fish? I want you to take care of the flock. And when Christ said the third time, interestingly enough, he changed words. The third time he didn't say, do you love me with heavenly love? He says, I not only doubt you love me with heavenly love, I doubt you're loving me with the love you profess, with that phileo love, with that brotherly, warm human sentiment. 
Scripture says Peter was grieved that he said the third time. See, a lot of people don't understand the culture. But the Hebrew, when he wanted to emphasize something, would not raise his voice. That was uncultured and unrefined. The Hebrew, if he wanted to emphasize something, would repeat it. And when a, a Hebrew repeated something three times, that was the superlative. The equivalent in our culture is when you text somebody all capitals. <laughs> okay. He was saying, you see, he was dealing with the real issue. Do you love me? And I don't have time to go over the rest of the story here. Interestingly enough, Christ gave Peter a, a wonderful promise. He said, you said you were willing to die for me. I got good news for you. You're going to get to do that. <laughs> My wife and I, we have three sons. I thank God for the love of family. The doctors, the nurses are all amazed at the love of family. I thank God for a good wife who now, praise the Lord, gets to travel with me everywhere I go. I love it. <laughs> Two of our sons work with us in the ministry, Benjamin and Jonathan. By the way, I turned it over to them about nine months ago, and they haven't missed a lick, Brother Sisk. Amen. Amen. When those boys were young, if you'd asked them, why in the world are you doing what your daddy asked you to do? Why are you serving your papa? They'd have told you the truth. They'd have said, well, because if I don't, it hurts. <laughs> and that's a good enough reason. You know, if, if you choose to turn your back on Christ and go back to fishing, because he loves you, he will spank you. And if that's the only reason you're going to serve him, do it. That's reason enough. But the boys grew. And soon they had the same problem that maybe some of you parents have experienced. And that's that their appetite for electronic gadgets and toys surpassed my budget. <laughs> my dad had the answer for that. It's a four-letter word. I hope it's not offensive to anybody. It's the word work. <laughs> and the gardener didn't like them because they took away his job. And the car wash uh, station didn't like them because we didn't show up for car washes. They'd do it at home. And if you'd ask them, why are you serving your papa? Why are you washing the car? Why are you taking care of the garden and doing the lawn. They'd have said, because I want the reward. And you cannot imagine the rewards Christ has for you. I know these men may not know the totality of it, but one day they will. 
But when you see these two heroes in heaven, they're going to be like the little boy with the five loaves and two fishes with their mouth open, saying, God, you got that out of my lunch? <laughs> the rewards are incredible. But now I'm sick. Benjamin heads up our West Coast office. We have an office there at Brother Salazar's church. That office services that side of Mexico and all the West Coast and Canada. He's married to a wonderful, godly wife with four daughters. <clears throat> and right now, they're not on the West Coast because he's moved into the house with us. When I fall, I thank God for his strength to help me get up. You can't understand the totality of what the family is doing. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that he found that sometimes he can rub my feet and it'll give me some relief. And yesterday he spent two hours rubbing my feet so that I could stand here today. And I want to ask you a question. Who's going to spank him if he doesn't do it? Nobody. And who's going to reward him for doing it? Nobody. He goes out to a conference. He's preaching this week with Brother Salazar. And then he's going to our big conference in Mexicali. You pray that God give me strength. I want to go the last night of that conference there. We'll have probably 200 pastors at that conference in Mexicali, Mexico. Pray the Lord give me strength. But if not, Benjamin's there to cover. He's going to be there all week. And so many times he's driven all night just to get back so he can be there for me. And so I don't need to ask you why he does it. He does it because he loves me. And see, that's the heart of what we're talking about. The question I have for you is, do you love him? Do you love him? And I'm asking you not to tell me about it. Show me. Father, I've preached what you asked me to come and deliver. Now only you can do the work in the hearts. Nobody's looking. How many could say, Brother Dan, that message was for me. God spoke to my heart. Would you raise your hand up high? I'd like to pray for you. Wow, so many hands. I know we can make decisions there. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Everybody, please stand.
if you can, the, our dear pianist is going to play. And if God's spoken to you and you can, come on down to this old-fashioned altar and just tell him you love him. If you can't get out, just sit down there right there on your bench and make an altar right there. But don't, 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 don't stay standing if God's spoken to you. If you can't get out, just go ahead and sit down right there and talk to him. Don't stay standing if God's spoken to you. The reason we can't go back is not because we fear the discipline. It's not because we want the prize. It's because we love Him. 